First of all, I realize this is probably not how you thought the story would start. Not with a big, shiny moon, or a city that could look stunning in spite of itself. Or me. Welcome to the second part of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, look at the Batman portion of the DC Universe. They're really making movies about every superhero! Listen in as Garrett. I look amazing. You guys look okay. Matt. God damn it. Well, what are you waiting for? Kick the hell out of me and get your standing ovation. And Adam. Uh, this guy? Really? Continue their look at all cinematic incarnations, starring the Cape Crusader. Hi, Bruce Wayne, billionaire, bon vivant, gallivanter, playboy, Gotham's most eligible bachelor like 90 years in a row. Included on this leg of the retrospective are reviews of Batman the Killing Joke. By clinging to reality, you're denying the reality of the situation. Suicide Squad. The world changed when Superman flew across the sky. And then it changed again when he didn't. The Lego Batman movie. I never sleep, because I'm too busy fighting criminals and saving Gotham City 24-7. Justice League. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. And Teen Titans Go to the Movies. This is a DC movie? Don't forget to keep checking in each week, as we are leading up to a review of Matt Reeves' latest Dark Knight incarnation, The Batman. I can already see. Things will get worse before they get better. All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. You ready? Let's go. Suicide Squad. Released August 5th, 2016. Budget on this was $175 million. Box office $746.8 million. And this is directed and written by the one and only David Iyer. All right, guys. We've talked BVS, as Matt calls it. I call it Batman vs. Superman because I never, ever, ever use abbreviations to label movies. And we have to talk about a movie that came out that same year, just a few months later, a movie whose trailer was shown right before Batman vs. Superman and got me, I don't know if it was excited was the right word, but you guys mentioned last week the trailer to this movie was phenomenal. Yeah, I thought it was absolute genius the way that they did it. Now, I know a lot of people thought they just ripped off what Guardians was doing with their trailers, which is ironic based on the sequel to this movie, but I thought it brought an action rock beat to a movie that a lot of people probably didn't know a lot about, the IP, and, you know, let's be honest, it's kind of hard to sell a movie with the word suicide in the title. We're not too far removed from things like that not even being allowed. Uh, at movies, so it, yeah, I thought the trailers were a work of genius and kind of let us know where the music was. I thought the trailers set a tone for what I could expect in the movie. I'm not as high on the trailer as Adam was, but I should also say the first trailer that came out at Comic-Con, which had no jokes and no music, it was looked exactly like Batman v Superman. I remember watching that and saying, oh God, here we go. The second one came out where they used Ballroom Blitz and they used Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm like, okay, this looks pretty lively. It looks energetic. It looks like a good change of pace. And I think after Batman v Superman, that's what the world needed 
because the the word that kept coming up, and I think we even used it on that review, was joyless. This, based on the trailers, looked like I was one of those people saying they ripped off Guardians, especially if you look at the soundtrack for this movie and how many musical cues there are. But, you know, an outlaw, quote-unquote, superhero movie with a bunch of characters, a couple that have some really big recognition because they're very popular, and then you got a bunch of B-lists. It's some, like, Z-list, to be perfectly honest. My question was, how were audiences going to respond, not just to the title, but the fact that this was not really a sequel to Batman v Superman? Like, that that was my thing. Why, why are you doing Suicide Squad right after you murdered Superman? I thought the placement was a little weird. A lot of the characters, yeah, you've got big names to play them, but nobody really knows Deadshot outside of the comic fans. But... The, the trailers got people excited. I remember the, that was the that was the talk of the town, as was the casting when all that started to come out. But I, I was excited for this movie for a different reason, because my favorite movie of all time is The Dirty Dozen, which has a similar concept to The Suicide Squad, where it's a bunch of pe- a bunch of inmates. In the case of The Dirty Dozen, you know, it's a military operation, and they are ordered to do a mission that will most likely get them killed. But if they succeed, they get amnesty for their past crimes. Or in the case of the Suicide Squad, they get reduced sentences. So with that in mind, and I love Man on a Mission movies. I love, I love, I love this this conceit. And I was excited to see what they were going to do with this for mainstream audiences. So I, I'm not going to say I went into that theater excited. But I, re- I wrote my review when I was working at a website called The Nerd Stash. And six years later, it is still the most read review in the history of that site. And... Going in, I had a few questions. One, how are they going to make up a lot of the checks that they're going to have to write to cover Batman versus Superman's losses? Because we said that that movie did make money, but didn't make nearly as much as they were hoping. And my other question was, you know, Matt, <laughs> to use a, a wrestling analogy here, it is interesting to have one Stone Cold Steve Austin in your federation to ward off a lot of the bad guys because you are an anti-hero. Yet, what will you get if you put a whole bunch of Stone Cold Steve Austins in one setting? And would that be interesting? I was not looking forward to this at all. I do remember going to an early screening. I went to a screening. It was about 10 days before it actually opened. I came back. I went to Binge Media. They got me on the air, and I gave it a pretty positive review. Mm-hmm. My thoughts on it were, look, it's different. It feels like something that, at that point, Marvel hadn't done yet. Marvel was all about the science at that point. They hadn't used magic. We wouldn't get Doctor Strange for another, what, six months by the time this movie had come out. So, actually, three months because it was released in August. That, that's what interested me about DC Comics growing up. You know, I read a lot of Superman comics. I read a whole bunch of different sets of DC Comics because it was magic and there wasn't a lot of science that has to do with it. Nobody's going on the moon and getting powers. There's this magic. And I wanted to see what they could do with this. But, of course, the trailers didn't give any of that away. They gave away the fun about it. And I agree with you, Matt. You know, and that was my one trepidation was this felt like a Guardians ripoff. Anyone who knows my thoughts about Guardians, mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Let's talk about David Iyer a bit. This guy is somebody who – what a story this guy has. Wow. You know, he yeah. kicked out of his parents' house as a teenager. He painted houses for a living. He enlisted in the Navy, and he uses a lot of his experiences living on the streets in Los Angeles in his scripts. And Matt and I have talked about one of his scripts, at least a script that he was a part of, because he had a hand in writing the Fast and the Furious, the first Fast and Furious movie. Yeah. But he wrote End of Watch, 
Sabotage, uh, one of the most underrated Arnold films, I think. Oh, um, uh, I, think that, I think that movie sucks. Really? See, I, I, I did like that movie. But again, I haven't seen it since. He wrote Training Day, which is probably his most famous script. Amazing. Harsh Times, which was a movie I didn't really like. So he has a really, really interesting underground take on the material, on material like this. And I thought if anybody was suited to do something like this, it was David Iyer. When it was first announced, I thought it was a interesting choice because Training Day is, I think that's a fantastic movie. But I do think a lot of that I also attribute to Anton Fuqua's direction. Absolutely. And Denzel being just so fucking good in that movie. But I liked that they were giving the reins to someone who had an edge to him. This didn't seem to me that they were just picking a director off of name recognition because none of his movies, with the exception of Train Day and Fast and the Furious, were like these giant, big tentpole movies. They, they were much like his stories. They're underground. They're gritty. They're L.A.-centric. They're full of Mexican stereotypes in a lot of them, which kind of carries over into this movie. But I was excited until all the word of mouth came out that this movie was well before the movie even came out. Mm-hmm. There were all these rumors that the, the production was taken away from him. There was reshoots that were really extensive. Granted, reshoots are nothing com- nothing uncommon. They're a part of almost every production. But when you spend $22 million on reshoots, that, hearing that, that's cause for concern about it was news that they hired the trailer company to come in and re-edit the movie. There was, there was just a lot, of, a lot of stuff that was making me more and more, skeptical is not the right word, nervous. I was very nervous walking into that theater. And I saw it as soon as I could because I didn't read any reviews. So it was not a BBS situation where I sort of knew what the general consensus was before I walked into the theater. And I was surprised that it was a full house. I do think Will Smith played a pretty big role into why this movie made so much money, because he's still a big name, and he is top-billed. But with the exception of him and a couple of other characters, not a lot of heavy hitters. And it's not like Batman was... They said he was in the movie, but if you come to this movie expecting to see Batman, <laughs> uh, you're probably going to be pissed off. Adam, what about you? What did you feel about David Iyer taking the reins of this? I had to look him up. You know, I wasn't great with the name recognition of who he was. And, you know, when looking up IMDb and things like that, I was like, oh, God, not only do I know his work, I fucking love so much of his work. You know, Fast and the Furious, that first one's a good movie. I'm not going to hate on that at all. You know, Training Day, we could probably sit here and blow that movie for the next 30 minutes. I fucking love that. But in addition, SWAT. I have... An unabashedly good time. Yep, I enjoy SWAT and have a good fucking time for two hours with a smile on my face when I watch that movie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Two Man and a Retrospective Podcast. It's going to be called for The Two Man will be Adam and I because I'm with them. Oh my god, you guys are out of your fucking mind. That's the guy who loves Catwoman. Let's bring that up every podcast. Oh, oh wait, can I get New Mutants in? <laughs> Uh, But also, I know that he had just done Fury, and knowing that that movie was getting a lot of really good credit for getting these name stars and basically filming a close-up movie in tight, and it was, hey, we got all these stars in a tank, and that's what the movie is, and people love it. I was like, all right, down and gritty, as Matt said, Dirty Dozen, like, this is what this should be. This should get me excited, but more than David Iyer. There was one name that sold this for me, 
as much as it did anybody else, and that was the name Harley Quinn. Because you could have sold this movie on that name alone. I like Deadshot. Captain Boomerang is fun. But the two things to me that I was excited about was Amanda the Wall Waller, who's one of my favorite characters in comics and the animated series. And then just seeing a live-action Harley Quinn, I was really excited to see. Oh, boy. He's there for the women. Yep. Harley just Quinn, like that, Harley man. Quinn. I'm here for the wall, and I'm here for Harley. Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn. Oh, boy, do I have things to say. Matt, you touched on this a little earlier, but let's, let's talk about it. This movie was getting not the kind of buzz you want in the lead-up to it, mostly because one of its other stars wasn't exactly the nicest of guys on this set. And, man, do I have Jared Leto stories that I am going to say for another day. I will just say everything I heard about what he did on this set, as far as fucking with the actors and whatnot, I believe every single word of it. Do you? He, yes. Okay. That is not the stuff you want. You never heard about Jack Nicholson going and, you know, leaving stuff on Michael Keaton's doorstep in the lead up. Like, that is not a reason to get into a role. It is a reason to fuck with somebody because you are an asshole. So... Let's get the Joker thing out of the way. When they said Jared Leto was going to play the Joker, I endorsed it because the main reason is I knew whoever had to follow Heath Ledger was going to fail spectacularly. And unfortunately, he I give the man credit. He had the balls to be that guy because I did not envy whoever had to follow Heath Ledger. But I don't hate Jared Leto as an actor. I just think he needs to get over himself and he needs a director who can tell him to calm the fuck down and I tell you what to do. You play in my parameters. You don't go off and do your own shit without my approval. He's like a Swiss Army knife. When he's used correctly, I think he is a very compelling screen presence. Like, I think his Oscar win for Dallas Buyers Club was well-deserved. Um, and I believe that, he, that was the first thing he had done right before this. Like, it was right after he won that they that they cast him. Which told me also Warner Brothers was trying just to get any semblance of credibility as far as names, which I think is also why they got Ben Affleck. He had some, he had some statues, but when I, when I saw the, when I saw the picture, cause that, that was the big question. What was Jared Leto's Joker going to look like? And then I saw the picture. I thought it was a goof. I thought it was someone like really bad Photoshop. And then I realized, Oh no, that's what he's actually going to look like. And I said, huh, this is a David Ayer movie. Cause he loves, he loves tattooed. He loves tattooed thugs in his movies. All over this one. But but I, I still gave him the benefit of the doubt. I honestly, this cast in general, there was no one in here that I, when I heard, outside of Jai Courtney, that I rebelled against. <laughs> we should talk about who actually declined some of these roles. Because remember, Tom Hardy was cast in this and he dropped out. Yes, he was. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he was going to play Rick Flagg, but he had a scheduling conflict with the Revenant because uh, that went over. Uh, Ryan Gosling was who they offered Joker. Yep. but. He did not want to do a multi-film contract. It's so. funny because Jared Leto isn't really getting money. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that would be interesting. I don't know if he's got him in him, but I'd love to see it. I, I, Nobody I, thought Heath Ledger did either. I, I think I think Ryan Gosling. I don't know, but I, I would have loved to have seen it because he's he's a very good actor. The one name because it's me, Jake yep. Gyllenhaal. They wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to replace Tom Hardy. I would have loved that. He said no because he has better things to do with his time. Did he? <laughs> um, well, he, the only reason they considered him is because David Ayer endorsed him because of End of Watch. Right. It seemed like Margot Robbie was the only person they considered for Harley Quinn. And the same thing for Will Smith. I think Will Smith was the 
those are the two that they stuck with from initially cast. Yeah, the only other name I saw when it came to Harley was um, Alexandra Daddario, which I would oh, love for I, I can, a lot I can, of things. Yeah, I can hear Gareth Boner from here. But oh she it, she is not Harley Quinn. She's Zatanna. She's a lot of things. She is not Harley, though. Well, I'll save my thoughts on the Leto picture for when we get to the movie, but Adam, you had a story about when you found out about this. Yeah, so when it came to it, and much like the casting of Lex Luthor, you know, that we just discussed, when he was cast, I was like, okay, you know what? I could see it. He has the ability to really bring something to the role, and then I was happy for it. And then the night that it got posted, because they released like a full-body image of him done up with all the tattoos, the grills, and everything else, and I was I was at my best friend's movie premiere. <laughs> And I, at a, at a uh, little like pre pre show, um, what meet and drink kind of, we were all hanging out, having some drinks. You were seeking you were seeking refuge. <laughs> Bravo! And it came across my feed, and it lit up like a freaking Christmas tree. Enough that I was like, "What? Hey, what is the holy fuck? That's the Joker." <laughs> And I still didn't hate, like, I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I, I can't say I loved it. I will say I loved the initial casting choice initially. I thought it was a spoof. I'm like, ha, ha, okay, somebody Photoshopped it. Oh, fuck, this isn't Photoshopped? <laughs> I mean, it was hard to believe. <laughs> what I kept telling myself, because I saw that picture and I winced, but I sort of had the same reaction to Heath Ledger's makeup when I first saw it. Yeah, did, absolutely. Did you really? To, to an extent. I liked when Heath Ledger, the first shot we got was him behind, like, a window. And you only saw the smile and the, the red lipstick. Mm-hmm. But I was not crazy about the design. And the, the Jared Leto thing was, was funny because people were speculating that he was Jason Todd. Yeah. Who, who went crazy what? and became the Joker. Like, it was it was sort of the Ben Affleck possibly being Deathstroke thing where people did not. <laughs> it's not really the Joker. Yeah, that, that can't be the yeah, Joker. That's but, true. But, but, yeah, all in all, like, when I saw that picture notwithstanding, I was – Liking a lot of the cosmetic stuff. I mean, look, I'm happy that Killer Croc was not a CGI monstrosity. Yep. And so, some of the stuff, I was like, okay, Captain Boomerang looks like Captain Boomerang. And they picked the sluttiest outfit possible for Harley Quinn because she's not overly sexualized enough, which, oh, boy, we'll talk about that. But th- there was nothing that I looked at and said, oh, God, that looks awful. Like I had with, the, like I said, the only thing in Bad Movie Superman, the trailers that really soured me was Doomsday. I thought that just looked horrendous. I didn't have anything. The only thing that also made me wince was seeing Scott Eastwood's name. <laughs> I think that happens every time. And people were saying he was playing Dick Grayson. Go fuck yeah. people. Yep, that's what everybody thought. And that character was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf. And fucking, hey, yep, and even Warner Brothers said, fuck no, we're not letting him anywhere near this movie. <laughs> oh, we're going to give Jared Leto millions of dollars to play the Joker. <laughs> All right, what do you guys say we uh, dive into this? Because, boy, there's a lot to get into with this one. <laughs> yeah, the Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. There is. The award-winning movie. I forgot about that. So we're starting off with Deadshot, played by Will Smith. Now, before we get into trouble for talking about his wife, let's uh, let's talk about <laughs> Will here. <laughs> yeah. That's a slap in the face. How do we feel about Will Smith as Deadshot? Uh, you know what? I... <sighs> I've never found Deadshot to be a character that can hold his own. You know, it's you're not going to get a Deadshot comic that's going to last more than six issues. He's not going to be the star. So I've never found him to be A-list at all. But I think I kind of like what Will Smith brings to it. 
Um, I think it gives it some personality that I've never found in the character uh, anywhere else. So I I like him cast here as Deadshot. Time to be Captain Cannon. He is Deadshot to me in name only. I feel like this is one of those instances, because it's Will Smith, that they softened the character so Will Smith could play it. Absolutely, they did. He's the hitman with a heart of gold. He kills people, but he loves his daughter. That part's from the comics. Mm -hmm. But he's portrayed with much more of a conscience than Deadshot has ever had. And they also removed the fact that he's suicidal, which sort of plays into the comic. If you ask people to name the best Batman villains, Deadshot's probably not going to be on that list. But I do do find it fascinating that they took a B-list character and got an A-list star to play him. Especially at a time where Will Smith, he was not the Independence Day and in black Will Smith anymore. Mm-hmm. About the Will Smith who had just made After Earth, for God's sake. And one of my favorite So Bad It's Good performances, if you've ever seen him in Winter's Tale when he played Satan. Wow. It's 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 a choice, but he does look disinterested. I appreciate that it's not him doing his Will Smith shtick, because I'm I'm exhausted of that. That mm-hmm. to me is what destroyed Men in Black Three. Was it was kind of sad. I'm like, man, you're in your forties. I thought you were past this. Here's a little bit more understated. Because he is ostensibly sort of the main character. He's the only one that, I guess one of two, that has anything resembling an arc. To be honest, and I know this is retroactive thinking, Idris Elba should have just played Deadshot and we could have avoided all this all this hoopla. Yep. And I have no problem, like, again, it's a race swap. I don't give a shit. No, this, I've seen this them. Is not they, the, this is not the mountain to die on, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> they've even done this in the animated movies since. Yeah, and in the, the most recent one, he's voiced by Christian Slater. His career has also been shot and killed. <laughs> now, because this movie's told in such montage, we cut to Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie. Now, without getting to the character yet, boys, just answer me this. Have there been attempts, live-action attempts at Harley before, or is this the first time? Yes. Yes. As the, there has been. The, the, so we did talk about Twice. this. There was going to be the fifth Batman movie, which would have been Schumacher's third. Uh-huh. Didn't talk about this. They had talked about Harley Quinn being one of the villains along with Scarecrow. She was going to be the Joker's daughter, played by Madonna. Yep. Mm, Which is funny, because years later, there is now a comics character, Joker's daughter. Oh, wow. That is, it's not really his daughter, but that's what she calls herself. And then the second one was on a short-lived Birds of Prey TV show. Fuck yeah, it was. We will talk about with the Birds of Prey movie. She was the main villain. It was uh, Mia Sara played her. Mia but she's never, she's never Oh, wow. She's never seen in the, Harley, the Harlequin outfit. Uh, she's just a, a psychiatrist. Like, maybe you see shots of it, but she's more of an understated. Like, she is not the Harley Quinn in the comics. No, but, she is yep. Dr. Harleen Quinzel on her office doors. Yeah. We have to talk about this. We sort of teased a mask of the Phantasm. She was a creation of the animated series. Who was Completely. intended to be just a one-off henchwench, basically. But they loved her so much. And a lot of this I attribute to Arlene Sorkin, mm-hmm. her voice work, and also Paul Dini just wrote great scripts for her, that not only was she used more, they gave her a backstory, which is in this movie, and she has become one of the most popular characters in the, in the DC pantheon, and she has evolved beyond being just the Joker's henchwoman. She has led her own comic, she has been in the Suicide Squad, she has hooked up with Poison Ivy, um, which if you, if you are not watching the Harley Quinn animated show, please check it out. I give it a ringing endorsement. It's so much fun. Fantastic show. As someone who, you know, I have my off days, that, that show always puts a smile on my face. A lot of it has to do with King Shark, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. The, the question was always, 
are they going to do Harley Quinn in a movie? Because of she's been so popular. There was always talk, like, if Heath Ledger hadn't died, would Harley Quinn have been a possibility in a third movie? I could have seen it. I don't see Nolan taking that character on. I see him seeing it as a farce and just ignoring it. But he did the – I think the fact he did Fear Toxin, though, proves nothing's off the table for him. He did fake Robin. Yeah, and I've always said if you were going to do – like, my dream choice for Harley, like, around that time would have been Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, there you go. Now you got Garrett interested. Yeah, you got me into it now. That with you know what she could have done it too. Yeah, and and but Margot Robbie when she was cast, the only thing I had seen was Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I think that's what that's what any every anybody's seen. And earlier in the year, she had that dumb movie Focus with Will Smith of all people. So <laughs> which those was which literally the two they rushed yeah. out because of this to get that movie some money. Yeah, yep, yeah, and, exactly. And I thought we'll talk about Wolf of Wall Street when it comes up, but let's not talk about her performance just yet. But I I love Margot Robbie. I think she's great. Uh, if you have not seen the Target Harding movie, check it out. Oh, she's so good in that movie. That is one of my favorite movies of the last five years. I love that movie mostly because of her. Look, if if, if you can tolerate working with David O. Russell and he doesn't yeah. and he doesn't confuse <laughs> you, uh, you're probably going to get an Oscar nomination out of it. So I'm pretty you're sure gonna Amsterdam's going to be really good. But <laughs> when, when she was announced as Harley, I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of taken the the star of the moment. But I was a little bit worried when I saw the costume because I love her original Harlequin design. We see it in the movie, and it looks great, but she has this ties into Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. They did over-sexualize her. It's gotten ridiculous in the comics. <laughs> it's beyond absurd. Uh, and Hell, it was that way in the video games, too. I, I played the Arkham video games, and she was over-sexualized there, too. Yeah, and ironically, she's voiced by Tara Strong after the, Interesting. After the first one. Yeah, wow. But the, the idea of Harley being in the Suicide Squad—that's nothing new. Like that's not an invention for this movie. Now this was looked at as a real opportunity because Matt and I were going to get to Wolf of Wall Street. We've recorded the majority of the Martin Scorsese retrospective with Ganeri, and that's going to be coming out here real, real shortly, actually. So keep your eyes out for that. But I want to mention it too. I want to go ahead and say that I was excited about this performance because of that movie. I love her in that movie. I want to say something as someone who is not a fan of the Quinn character whatsoever, as is a character I've just never given a shit about. Robbie has a fine performance here, but it's completely wasted. How many times can you whack someone with a bat, blow a bubble, and put the bat behind your back? I know that's her in the comics, but honestly, they give her nothing here. And if you have someone like Robbie, do something with her. Don't just make her just a totem character of something that was popular before. Here's the thing, and this is sort of my take on how she's presented. They borrowed too much from the new 52 Harley Quinn, which is, to me is the inferior version, where they basically made her female Deadpool, where she's just there to say quips and look hot. They gave her the the, the anime series backstory with, with Joker up to a point. There's a huge pivot where they stick with New 52. To me, that's a mistake, because it removes some of the agency of her character, some of the tragedy. I think she acclimates herself very well, but to me, I don't think this is a great representation of Harley Quinn as a character. She plays it well. She, she's the most charismatic person in the movie. But I attribute that more just to Margot Robbie, who's always just this affable person to watch. doesn't help that she's drop-dead gorgeous, and I say that as a, as a full-fledged gay man. Wow. Um, I watch Wolf of Wall Street, and I'm like, oh, my God, I might I might actually be turned. <laughs> and, then, and then I saw Leo's bare ass. I'm like, no, I'm back. I'm okay. <laughs> That was fun while it lasted, and Adam's like, oh, good. Spoilers for that review. Check this movie out. (laughs) Because, you know, Leo doesn't really bear all, but he bears all of that movie. (laughs) 
you know, the thing for me, I didn't know Margot Robbie from Adam, you know, so I was, I was like, okay, she kind of looks like the part. The the costume, the outfit, just like Matt said, is I, I man, kind of bugged me. I don't know if you remember, but around this time, I wrote an article uh, for a site that we used to work for, and it was Harley Quinn is not just a sex pot character. And it actually got a lot of traction because it was a long article about all the things she had done in comics and other media to separate herself from just being this fucking sexual fantasy, um, including comics where she had literally beaten and left the Joker and stuff like that. So I thought it was important that if you were going to bring this character, you brought a different sense of it. So, yeah, much the same way that kind of bugged me because I think it's important that you know you finally get a fucking female character on screen and this is the way you're going to portray her I don't like it you know and everybody's doing the hashtag Harley Joker forever that's not a good fucking relationship people like, no. that is not the relationship no. to fucking go for and that always, 101 that always pisses me off like I don't get it mm-hmm. I just I don't Nobody should be wearing anything that says property of somebody whatsoever. And I see that as a married man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ditto on that. But, but the way yeah. that she's, she's photographed and all the, the way all the guys just oogle at her when she is putting her outfit on, it's shot in the way that Michael Bay degrades women. Yep. That, that's really what I thought of watching a lot of the, the way she's depicted. And while I'm happy that this character has finally been brought to the screen, I think there was a way to, if you weren't going to do the Harlequin outfit, once you got to her on the Suicide Squad, she wore like a kind of a corset, mm-hmm. with, you know, like stockings, but she wore like armor because the Suicide Squad are all, you know, people who are the reason why the roster keeps changing is because they keep dying. Like it's literally, um, you know, and speaking of which, so, so the Suicide Squad comic started off as one thing. And then morphed into something new entirely. The first one, the only person who was carried over is Rick Flagg. Since then, it has been a... You've got all, pretty much all the mainstays are in this movie. There's none of the major heavy hitters that they that they left off. So I think if you're a Suicide Squad fan, they picked the right lineup. But Harley Quinn joining the Suicide Squad has only been within the last, what, 10, 12 years? If uh, Yeah, I think it was a new 52 and on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they were written to do the missions that the government could not get away with. Assassinate world leaders, black ops missions. It was... And they were all villains. It was a way to use these B-list villains. For anybody that wonders what Marvel's Thunderbolts is going to be like in a couple years, it's this. <laughs> it's this premise where you take... The only difference is that the the, the Thunderbolts are known past supervillains, basically. Or I should say yeah. the Suicide Squad are known supervillains. Thunderbolts is built on, oh, we've turned a corner and now we're doing good. Whereas here, they're all like, yeah, these are murderers and rapists and the Joker's girlfriend, which I have a problem with on multiple reasons. But the, the characters that they picked, there's none that I said, oh, why did you pick so-and-so? We cut to Amanda Waller, who says that she is here to, well, why is she here? <laughs> She's played by Viola Davis. Uh, we saw her depicted. Yeah, we saw her depicted five years before in a movie we're going to get to eventually called Green Lantern, depicted by Angela Bassett. Here she's oh, depicted God, by another right. Oscar winner, Viola Davis. You know, I just, I don't know. I like Viola Davis in a lot of things. I just wonder why she was cast here. She is fucking awesome casting. Yep. There's because only one that could have done better, but yep. Yeah, well, I can think of two, which we'll get to in a sec. But Amanda Waller, much like Adam, is someone that I, she is one of my favorite characters in DC Comics because she is the, she is the government employee with the ruthless nature of Lex Luthor. She knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman and blackmails him with it all the fucking time. 
She's not afraid to throw anyone under the bus. She's killed whoever she needs to kill to get to the top. She is just the wall. She is whatever she says goes. And if you are not on board with it, she has no problem blowing your head off and burying you in the desert. Not just Angela Bassett. She has been played by the who's who. CCH Pounder voiced her. Pam Greer played her on Smallville. Yeah, Pam Greer played her on Smallville. Yeah. Um, so getting Viola Davis to me was a, a stroke of brilliance, although there's no way she would have done it. But if they could have somehow gotten Oprah. Um, she was on the short list. I know that. As was Octavia. Guys. I'm dead, yeah. I'm dead serious. I think she, if she put her image aside, and Octavia Spencer was the other one, who I think would have been great. But Viola Davis is, I don't just say that because she grew up 20 minutes from my house. She's raised in Central Falls, Rhode Island, of all places. I love her and everything, except for when she played Michelle Obama. I thought that was a disaster. Um, but I think she, she plays the way the characters were in and the, the way she plays it. That is exactly how I imagined Amanda Waller being brought to the screen. And for me, the only other person I would have wanted in this role is CCH Pounder. Uh, she was the animated voice of her, and I thought she was phenomenal. And I like her as as an actress when she's in front of the camera as well. She was on The Shield, which I know her from most, and I thought she was amazing in that. And her on that let me know that she could play Amanda Waller live action. And I think Adam, she was way too old at this point. I don't think she could have done it. Yes, yeah, she could. Absolutely, she could. Black don't crack, first of all. He said it. <laughs> I bit my tongue. <laughs> we'll be seeing plenty of CCH Pounder because she's going to be in the Avatar sequel. She yeah, sure right. is. She was doing that. I think it's great. This is a character that I, I enjoy huge. I mean, they even they intimate time and time again that she fucks Batman. <laughs> like, that's how powerful she is. Not only fucks him over, but they've had intimate relationships. There's just something about Amanda Waller is that character. She's the wall. And she is the backstop to everything. It's, yeah, it's, love it. Absolutely love it. The calling card is she has no guilt. She is basically Judy Dench's M to the fullest extent in yeah. Casino Royale, where she is, if you do not think I have the balls to send you out to die, you are sadly mistaken. She says she's eaten a lot of canaries, but she has the idea of all ideas, to let loose of rogues and have them work for the good guys. So this is when we're starting to have more montages, as we're hearing Deadshot is the sharpest shot in the world. And we also see that Deadshot has a family. And has there been a worse acting little girl than the one that plays his daughter here? Oh, I thought it was Willow Smith uh, at first. How many how many Shyamalan movies did we talk about that had <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cortland Mead would like a word with you? <laughs> I said little girl, not little boy. Okay, well, uh, Katara from our uh, from Last Airbender. Uh, okay, take the cake. All right. Conceptually, here's my problem. You have already introduced Deadshot and Harley Quinn in the cold open of this movie. You should have asked those scenes completely because the first two introductions serve no purpose and don't tell you anything about the characters outside of they're in this prison and Harley's crazy. These should have been the introductions for Deadshot and Harley Quinn. I know the trailer house fucked with this movie into oblivion, but this is one of the worst edited blockbusters maybe of all time with how this story is told. This script and th these scenes are put together by toothpicks. Basically. Yeah, it's really badly edited. Oh, I like the Deadshot introduction where he's like, yeah, uh, double the fee for being a dickhead. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, this is the, the little girl's not very good, but uh, it was cool to see Ben Affleck make a cameo when he, he, he sort of takes him out. and Yeah, Batman catches up to Deadshot and his daughter gets in the way of him shooting Batman. Why? Because she's a fan. Harley Quinn was once a shrink known as Harleen Quinzel, and she is assigned to the Joker, played by DC's most notorious actor, not named Ezra Miller. Jared Leto. 
<laughs> now, Leto's acts on the set, as we mentioned earlier, were notorious. He did many things to this whole cast, except for Viola Davis, who said if he had, she was married to a football player, and he would have fucked him up. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish he had friends, anyway. She's friends with Denzel. I would not fuck with her. Nope. He has ties to the mob? Why? <laughs> All right, so, so Jared Leto's bullshit. I think David Harbour, who was in this movie, ironically, when he called method acting pretentious bullshit, <laughs> I think he was right on key. I understand being in character. But that should be introspective. That should be you really analyzing what are you going to bring to this character. If you need to stay in when you when the cameras are not rolling, do that. That does not give you the right to act in a both disrespectful and borderline intrusive. Yeah. What? Yeah. He was using it as an excuse to be a fuckhead. Yeah. Like some of it, I laugh at. Like in Blade Runner, he made himself actually blind when he shot his scenes. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I would not do that, but at least you're not invading other people's spaces. Here, it's beyond ridiculous, and the results was not worth the effort. I think Jerry Leto is god-awful in this movie for the minimal screen time he has, and apparently he had a lot of stuff cut, especially if you listen to him, if you listen to David Ayer. If you look at photo, there's a shot of him in the trailer pulling a grenade pin with his mouth yep. uh, mm -hmm. that is not in the movie. So I think he was going to be a much larger part, but... Cosmetically, I think the tattoos are ridiculous. I don't mind the grill, because Batman, by this point, would have knocked all of his teeth out. <laughs> Especially, as we find out, Robin had been murdered by this Joker, so Batman probably lost his shit. But Jared Leto playing, like, this overly sexual Joker, gangsta, sort of like a new money criminal, nothing about it screams the Joker. And the biggest offense, he's never funny. I know that sounds trivial, but... Never once does he make you laugh. And you're ne I'm never scared of him, which I think is something that the Joker should create at some point. He should do something that catches you really off guard. Part of that is because the editing is so bad and he has minimal screen time, but nothing he does is all that surprising outside of the bullshit he did off screen. Oh, I double stamp everything that he's saying right there. He just sits so unwell with me. I just, I don't have fun with it. Um, so the grills I have a major problem with for the reason of, I think it fucks up his speech. And it always bugs me when it looks like somebody's doing fake fucking duck lips because they have something in their mouth. It's just distracting when I'm trying to watch a movie. All right, so you guys have given your two cents on the look. Let me give mine in right now. You know, I got to say, I admired the look. I thought it was bold, but you had to do that because this character needed another direction once Ledger took it into the stratosphere with a posthumous Oscar. Agreed. My argument towards this is that the boldness ends with the look. They don't take this character in a different direction. They just go with what he's done before. And that's my big thing. He has Jack Nicholson lines here, and he doesn't deliver them right. I'll give you that, but he's also not written correctly in that way. No, well, no the problem with Jared Leto is why is there a Joker in this movie? Yeah. Why? Yeah. The movie what functions. functions he's not the villain. He, he... Well, yeah, that's my thing, is that I don't think he's not doing anything admirable with it, but he's also not given anything to do. Which, he's not the worst. He's not even close to the worst. No, no, he's not. She's coming up here in just a minute. But there just wasn't, or other than you're not going to do Harley Quinn without the Joker. And I'm assuming that's, you know, the thought process behind it. Jeff Johns intervened a lot in this movie towards the end of it. But it's just, he has no stakes in what happens throughout this movie at all. Other and than the scene they added at the very end, which was clearly a reshoot, he's <laughs> like Indiana Jones. But he does not play a role in what happens during the movie. And his appearance at the end also betrays the arc that I thought they were building for Harley. 
I completely uh-huh. agree. But the easy way to fix this, if you were going to have Joker in this movie, which I do think that was a mandate, you can't do Harley without the Joker for her first appearance. Yeah. I think that's justified. You know, I don't think that's a sacrilegious... It's not crazy. It's not a sacrilegious mandate at all. But the twist should be, because they set him up as... And this was interesting. You get the sense this is a Joker who genuinely loves her, which is not something that a lot of writers have ever done. But by doing so, the big twist should have been, once he gets Harley on the helicopter... She doesn't like him. No, it's that, I'm not after you. I'm after the bombs. You guys are going to work for me. That's a Joker plot. You make, yeah. you make him the third act villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. And it functions so much better, and it justifies the Joker being here. And you, you mean to tell me, you? so it's bad enough you, I'm going to use this word again, crowbar the Joker, <laughs> normally it's the other way around, and he doesn't have any dialogue with Ben Affleck's Batman. Let's get into the storyline of Harley Quinn and Joker, because... Well, hang on, the story guess, of this movie doesn't start for about 40 fucking minutes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but let me... I, all right. I, I took notes, and I'm going to say... And I did the extended version of this movie, which I do think helps a decent amount. I resent that DC's decided to do extended or recut every fucking movie in this universe, but I do think the extended has got some good stuff in it. But the first, I gotta say, 35 minutes is nothing but introductions. 35 fucking minutes before the story gets going. Well, what's the cause of that? Too many fucking characters. Yeah. And my other gripe, let me talk about this. Iyer must have left a lot out because we see the beginnings of the storied relationship, as disturbing as it is, between Joker and Harleen. But we never see the point where Harleen becomes Harley. Yeah, you can use the case of the drugs being the thing, but when did she turn? When did she turn from the psychiatrist into this crazy devotee of the Joker? The electroshock therapy is what? Well, yeah, you could say that, but we never see that point. No, you're right, Uh, and that's a problem. Mad Love does it in 22 minutes. Yep, and also he worked her over for months Yeah, uh, with therapy sessions. And the big reveal is, because he tells her like a story about, oh, my father used to beat me and I went to the circus. And he goes, oh, I made that up just so you could get me out of here and have sympathy. But the the electroshock therapy is not something that they ever did in that and the, the acid bath with the same. I don't know why we have bats that could just make jokers lying around. You think... Gotham Health would shut that shit down um, because we already have one rolling around, but that is straight out of the New 52. So she's kind of an amalgam of all the different backstories, and unfortunately, it's for the detriment of the character, for both of them, because it makes Joker, all the hard shit he had to do is removed because he says, says, oh, I'm going to shock you until I I turn you to my side. We don't see the Joker as that real mass manipulator, and we don't even see them as the real power couple because when we do, he just whores her out on a strip pole because David Mm -hmm. Ayer loves his gangster shit. And um, I mean, fuck, Common would have been a better Joker than Jared Leto. I just hate that we're supposed to take it at face value through montage, that she all of a sudden becomes his devotee. I just, that just bugs me. Yeah, and that's the problem with, you know, we're cutting back and forth, back and forth, this character, that character, this character again, this character in a different time. It's just every time that we get some positive momentum, it undercuts itself by how this movie is done. It's not doing itself any favors. It looks pretty. There's cool graphics on the screen. But, you know, and the music, it's amazing that it stops about halfway through because I fucking love the music drops for this, you know, for this first 30, 45 minutes of the movie. You know, I'm digging it. The last half of this movie 
there's none of that music. Suddenly, they're like, oh, fuck. We used everything we bought. I guess we got to get a score. <laughs> you know, it, it it's, right it's, money. It's, it's really, really strange when you think about it, that the music cues, the needle drops, are only here for this part, and then they go away. Also, orchestral scores tell more story. And they should. The montages and things being told with Queen and everything else, it's not meant to be taken at drama value. You know, you're not supposed to be captivated by it. You're just supposed to be, oh, there's the introduction. Oh, there's another introduction. It makes your head spin. We are then seeing Harley and Joker being pursued by Batman as he jumps on their car, and Quinn says that he's ruining date night. <laughs> I love car goes in the. <laughs> their car goes in the water, and Batman picks her up out of the water. Punches her in the face. Punches her in the face. Punches yeah. her right in the fucking mouth. Yeah, this is Frank Miller's Batman where he gives no fucks. But uh, classic Joker moves. He leaves her to be caught. Because if you notice, yep. he gets away scot-free. Mm-hmm. She even says, I can't swim. He's like, all right, fuck it. I'm still yep. going. See ya. It's sort of like BBS where they know the relationship, but they don't know the extent of how damaging it is. The only damage we get is that stupid fucking tattoo he has of his forehead. Which, to me, that was a step too far. I saw that, and I'm like, oh, my God, get your head out of your ass and, and stop trying to... Because the Joker shouldn't have to tell you he's crazy. To me, that, that's, what the, that's what the tattoos are a representation of. And the Joker would also not have tattoos that you would pick off a fucking wall when you're drunk at one in the morning and get dared by one of your friends to get some ink. <laughs> We have the use. Okay, let's get some more characters here because that's what this movie needs. We have the useless Captain Boomerang who robs banks and doesn't work well with others. We meet El Diablo who is a pyrotechnic apparently, and then we see them pursue Killer Croc whose makeup job, when we finally see it, is actually very impressive. How are we feeling about these characters, boys? Boomerang is my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> really? I can't stand Jai Courtney, but he is the only one that feels like a genuine shitbag. <laughs> um, because that's what the Suicide Squad characters are. You're not uh-huh. supposed to like them. They are villains. They have to keep reminding you. They say we're the bad guys. Will Smith says it like three times. They don't feel like villains. And also, the plot they're assigned to do is just cleaning up Viola Davis's mess that she caught. Mm-hmm. They're not even taking this conceit to the right extent. And uh-huh. also, biggest writing mistake they made. If you're going to do the Suicide Squad... You need to explain why she is recruiting these characters, because they all need a specific job on the task force. Deadshot makes sense. He's your marksman. Harley Quinn, I guess, she's got a fucking bat. What is she going to do? You made the Joker the target. You use her as leverage to work for them. Captain Boomerang is a thief, so you could use him to steal shit. The characters that they pick, they're, they're justified choices, but none of them feel like they're, they're bringing anything significant to the mission outside of their gimmick like they don't have a purpose and that bothers me as far as killer croc goes i think the makeup is pretty good i'm glad they didn't cg him but look killer croc is like the bottom tier of batman villains they he's just a mindless monster captain boomerang is is a big flash villain although ezra miller being at the scene of a crime is not the most surprising thing as we will find out All right. And, and that was his first appearance at The Flash. I'm like, oh, God, this guy sucks. <laughs> Just on that one line. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they got to play Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap for the Aussie. Might as well play El Chapo's iPad when El Diablo comes out. <laughs> Harley Quinn is super freak. There are more musical beats in this movie than my old frat parties when I was in college. What I like about Guardians of the Galaxy, and we'll probably talk about this ten years down the line, is, is that... <laughs> Not necessarily with the first one, but but with the second one, James Gunn picked really obscure songs that are personal for him. 
like he picked stuff like um, uh, Sam Cooke's Bringing On Home to Me or Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Those are not Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap that everybody knows or M&M's Without Me. It's like they went through the Billboard 500 for this movie and just picked songs. And fucking Bohemian Rhapsody and Ballroom Blitz that they used in the trailers, not in the movie. Yep. There's a shitty Panic at the Disco cover of Bohemian Rhapsody that made Freddie Mercury spit jizz in his grave. Was that was that the one that was in this movie? Because I swore that was Queen. They might have played it. I mean, I'm also for White Claws Deep, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll see. But I think that the musical choices they also don't last very long. Like it, it you know, when you go to a, when you go to a bar and they play, it's like a name that song and you have to write down on your little sheet for your team. That's what so much of the first forty minutes of this movie feels like. But that's why I told you guys in text earlier today that it's going to be so much fun doing the intro to this because there are so many songs I can choose from and they all fit. We then meet the witch, the enchantress, June Moon. I want to reiterate that this was a part of DC I loved as a kid. And as an adult, I'll say it again, I thought the way you can differentiate from Marvel is since until Doctor Strange, they were all about the science of what they were doing. DC can go all out in the magic side. Yep. But again, I don't know if they got cold feet, but I think they completely pulled their punches here. All right. Well, I would argue that Marvel held back on magic because that's kind of how they treated Thor initially. Because he, he's like, look, you guys call it magic. You know, we call it science. So Marvel's always had a weird thing. As it pertains to Enchantress, she is the worst archaeologist in the world because she finds a priceless artifact. What is the first thing she does? She pops its head off like a fucking wine bottle cork. <laughs> No time for uh, subtlety, Dr. Jones. I won't touch anything. Regardless of the actress that they picked, you could have put fucking Marilyn Monroe in her heyday in this role, and it would have sucked. She is the all-powerful, and this makes Amanda Waller look stupid. Why would you recruit this person on your team? You know, God forbid anything happens to the heart, you lose control, and you get the rest hour and a half of this movie. And it's also downgraded by casting Kara Blank, resting bitch face Delavine who got her dance moves off of a VHS that your mom bought at 3 in the morning for her yoga class off QVC. To make this the the big villain of the movie, I don't know whose call this was, but that is like scraping the bottom of the barrel for big villains. She is not Loki. She is not the Joker. She's not Captain Boomerang. Everything about her just does not work, and she's, like a lot of things in this movie, an underwritten character compounded by bad decisions in the writing and the performance. I like Cara Delevingne. I do, too. In Valerian and The Thousand Planets. But maybe that's because she's up against Dane DeHaan, who can't act his way out of the paper bag that usually sits on Shia LaBeouf's forehead. She's abysmal in this movie. And I don't say that lightly. She's ruinous. David Ayer uses his friends, quote-unquote, to complain about this movie not being his cut. A lot of people around are saying it so that he doesn't have to. I get it. You cannot defend her, her casting, what she does, the way that she is directed, what she's given to do, what she's written, her whole fucking arc, her decision-making, her outfit, her look, how she gets her brother brings back, like nothing with Enchantress makes sense. And this could be a cool character. There's one good shot. Yes, we get it. Everybody fucking nutted over it when you get that cool little hand flip, you know, that we get a little bit later. That's it. This character, every time she shows up, this movie is in the fucking gutter. It is really, really a shame. I don't know how she got cast in what could have been an important role. Where's Rita Repulsa when you need her? Wow. 
only to be outdone by her quote-unquote least manly fucking soldier possible with Joel Kinnaman being Rick Flagg. All right, let's get let's get to Joel Kinnaman here in a bit. So Waller reveals that she found the heart of the Enchantress. We then meet Rick Flagg, played by Joel Kinnaman. Now, I like this guy because he was on a show called The Killing, which is in my top ten favorite shows of all time. And, Matt, you and I review, uh, reviewed him on RoboCop. I didn't think he was too bad in that mm-hmm. thought, remake. I thought he was okay. I thought he was very good on House of Cards. And I yeah. also thought he was very – on the first season of Altered Carbon – He's a Swedish actor who he gets these parts, and I think he's fine. But he's like he's like the fifth string of this part apparently, because so many people were cast before him. I think he jumps in. I think he's fine. Like I have no issues. Again, my issues aren't necessarily with the actor; it's with the character. I think the character's bland. Mm-hmm. I have no issues with Joel Kinnaman in it. No, um, in fact, we're gonna see maybe one day that somebody can actually direct that character and do something good with it, because this writer and director can't. But he, there's nothing believable in the way that this character is portrayed in this movie that he would be an elite fucking soldier to lead this team. I, this guy? Really? No. Not at all. Yeah, because the, the big thing in the comics is that, you know, he's a Green Beret colonel, which means you're very prestigious in the military. You know, West Point graduate, does not see the eye-to-eye with Waller in any way, but he's, he's a good soldier because that's all he knows. Here, he is just a love-struck puppy who is easily manipulated by Amanda Waller. And when you cast someone like Joel Kinnaman, who I think does have some charisma, but you tell him to underplay it because, let's not forget, this is a Will Smith vehicle, and everyone who's in a scene with Will Smith has to pale in comparison as far as being interesting. Every scene he's in, when he's with Will Smith, he is made to look like a subordinate bitch. Yeah. Tremendous disservice to Rick Flagg, and that is, to me, Will Smith's fucking ego, speaking of David Ayer, sabotaging this movie. Waller makes her case for pulling these bad guys out of prison. Twice. Twice. Because yeah. she does it here, and then she'll do it in the next scene in the yep. fucking conference room, because this movie can't get into first gear to save no. goddamn life. There's a way to do this. It's amazing you watch a movie like Seven Samurai, which is sort of the best version of the Suicide Squad possible, or even The Magnificent Seven, the way that movie introduces its characters. It's done with agency, and The Dirty Dozen in particular. What works also about The Dirty Dozen is... You got the manliest of men possible. You got fucking Lee Marvin, Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, Donald Sutherland, Telly Savalas. Like it's an all-star cast. Like if you if you have not seen The Dirty Dozen, please go check it out. Fantastic. It, it's one of my. It is my favorite movie. Like if you held a gun to my head and said, "What is your favorite movie?" I will tell you that. In here, it is Will Smith, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and everyone else. Which is not the Suicide Squad. It has always been an ensemble piece. You know, you can have tears, certainly, because Rick Flagg's your field leader, but he just feels like an ordinary soldier, not the real field, the guy who makes the calls, because he can't do anything without Amanda Waller or without Enchantress's, uh, uh, I don't know what you call, uh, voluptuous caverns. Enchantress, she shows off her power to the Pentagon, and apparently this is enough to get their program moving. Quinn asks Waller if she's the devil, and this whole movie at this point is being told through montage, and there's just no way I can process a thing that is going on. I understand you have too many characters, but again, the way to solve that, take out characters. It's mind-boggling to me how fucking quick this movie's moving, yet I don't feel like we're going anywhere. And there is still one character that they have not introduced in the movie, uh-huh. and the yep. movie forgot, so they have to do it later in... They have to do it later, yeah. Short-hand writing. That goes to show just how, fuck, there's two characters they haven't introduced yet. Mm-hmm. It is, like I said, two picks is being kind. There's all the talk about release the air cut, because now, now that the Snyder cut has happened... Oh, God. That is the next thing. But you know what? With the amount of fuckery that this movie got handed 
there is a part of me that wants to see that because I think David Ayer should have the opportunity to put his money where his mouth is, especially if he's going to have his friends do his talking for him. Be like, all right, here's $50 million. Go show us what you got. Well, I was going to say that he has been out in the press, even since this movie has come out, and said, yes, this is my cut. Mm -hmm. But yet, like you guys say, everybody else says, no, 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 there's something else. Who the fuck is telling the truth here? It's also, he didn't start really saying, oh, my movie was this and that until the Snyder Cut got green. And he also said his vision got changed because of all the popularity of Deadpool and Batman v Superman getting all this criticism. So I think everyone's at blame. I think Warner Brothers was at blame because they couldn't get out of their own way. They had no idea what they wanted with this movie. And if they did, they would not have kept changing it as often as they did. You know, if you're going to hire someone like David Ayer, who has a style, you can argue Mm -hmm. whether or not you like it. And you take it away, why are you hiring these people? Get fucking Peyton Reed, who will just do whatever the fuck you say. And not not bring anything to it. Hire Brett Ratner. Hire Alan Taylor. Hire guys that don't have an imprint that they can put on the material if you're just going to boss them around. White Club is very angry. I'm very surprised. I mean, Warner, Warner Brothers, they're reaping the seeds they sowed right now. They're losing filmmakers who went there because they at once could share their vision. And we'll see if Discovery lets them have it back. But, yeah, I they got the makeup work. I picture Kevin Feige sitting in a movie theater by himself watching this and just laughing like the Joker. <laughs> he's Max Katie. He's sitting in the front row of the cigar. <laughs> <laughs> he's, bur- he's burning muddy because Marvel takes a hand over his <laughs> But, you know, she talks about how, I want to build a team who could do some good. Okay, what do you have in mind? It's not delved into. She has the, yeah. the genesis, which is, well, we got lucky with Superman, even though not really, because all he did was bring terror and destruction yeah. uh, to Patropolis, <laughs> so I don't know how much of a bullet we dodged. So instead, we're going to get the Joker's girlfriends and a guy who throws boomerangs. And the, gov- and, that's not for- and the government says, okay, which if they made this a year later, and it was the Trump administration, it would have actually made sense. And let's not forget, too, that this is also the time that Superman's dead. We covered that movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because not not that that fucking matters. But that that was also the the weird thing was I don't understand doing this right after Batman v Superman. Uh Uh-huh. Diablo is refusing to go with the task force as he shows them a fiery bye and then bids them adieu. Deadshot shows off his firing skills. And then Deadshot requests full custody of his daughter and that they pay for her education. I do like this line where it's like, oh, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your boss. I could have done with that the Kanye because, again, we're just dropping music for no reason. But I think, you know, I've talked a lot of shit about Will Smith. There's moments where I think he's he's solid. Because let's not forget, he turned down Independence Day 2 to do this movie. He did. And I'm sure he turned down a shitload of money to do so. I'm trying to, like, you know, I said Idris Elba should have played Deadshot. I'm trying to think of, like, some other, I don't know. Walton Goggins could have been fucking dead. I don't fucking <laughs> Uh, no, Timothy Oliphant should have been Deadshot. Captain Boomerang is resisting until Joker shows up and encourages him to be his friend. And then Enchantress is once again making her presence known as she's telling people that she's going to build a machine that will destroy all humans. <sighs> all right. Mm. I think I hated superhero movies. There's two things. It is the... Actually, it's two things combined into one. It is the mindless swarm of henchmen, which we get in this movie... Yes. It is the swirling vortex of death in the sky. Speaking of Joss Whedon, I blame the Avengers for this shit. Yes. Yep. Because it is literally the third act of Avengers where the sky portal 
I am so fucking sick of seeing this. Enchantress starts attacking the city and turning humans into monsters with her brother Incubus. Here's a character that we haven't seen. So Waller's suicide squad is let out in almost full force, as is the Joker. El Diablo, he gets more power for Enchantress. And they are then joined by Slipknot. And what are we, in early 2000s new metal land here? Yeah, well, we, we have, have Incubus, Slipknot. we have Slipknot. We have Slipknot and Incubus. As yeah. Characters. <laughs> uh, was Megadeth busy? And, and they literally say, like, the man who can climb anything. I'm like, oh, yeah, what a, what a great superpower that is. Is there a guy who has gotten more out of one movie than Adam Beach? Smoke Signal was 20 fucking years ago. This guy, much like, you know, he was in New Mutants too. so uh-huh. that, that's like the kiss of death. But to introduce him so late, I knew immediately, I'm like, all right, he's going to be the first one to die. Yeah. What came first, the character or the band Slipknot? I, like, Slipknot is, I don't even think there's a tear you can place him in. No, okay. he, he's probably a random character from Ostrander's, like, 70s books, though. Yeah, like, the only thing, thing. just fucking, they needed, because the problem is you can't do a Suicide Squad of all, like, big names, because you, uh-huh. by the very concept, you have to remove some of them, which is another yeah, problem with this movie. The Suicide Squad, they kill, what, two of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I am not liking here, boys. Say what you want about that first Avengers film. We'll get to it eventually. But the repartee between those characters is pretty tremendous, the the way they go back and forth. I am not liking the chemistry. I am not liking the repartee between any of these characters. Like, none of this dialogue works. Well, they're also not... I talked about this earlier, where they don't feel like villains. And and Will Smith has to keep saying, don't forget we're the bad guys. Mm -hmm. You don't get the sense that they really hate each other. You also don't get the sense throughout this movie that they're genuinely trying to escape which is the great thing about the comics, is that they are always trying to fuck each other over, you know, is the ultimate band of thieves, which is why I sort of respond to Boomerang as much as I do, is because he's the only one, like, he manipulates Slipknot into trying to escape. There's that part later on where he just says, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. He's the most selfish one, but that makes him the truest to the Suicide Squad. There's so much talk in the end of this movie about family, I thought fucking Vin Diesel was going to show <laughs> For me... It is not a good representation of the Suicide Squad. And you're right, the rapport is terrible. I do like Harley Quinn's line about, oh, I'm not ki- I'm kidding, that's not what the voices in my head told me to say. Adam, what about you, sir? How are you feeling about the chemistry between these characters? It doesn't bug me. I can't say that I like it, but it's a moving quick enough that I'm not I'm not hating it. You know, at this point, I'm like, all right, let's get going. We're finally getting ready to do something, because all we've done is literally introduce ourselves all the way through, and we're, what, now 40, 45 minutes in? You know, and we're finally going on a mission that's just by happenstance that something happened. But them getting together, them talking, them, you know, kind of bitching at each other, eh, it rolls off. Like, it, it doesn't piss me off. Waller says that if they complete the mission, they will get time off their prison sentences, but if they fail the mission, they die. Yeah, which is, you know, that's the core of the comic, where it's just they're doing this for amnesty. And remember, they, most of them have life sentences. Yes. So, like, yeah. oh, great, what's, that's Waller's leverage. Like, what's 10 years off a life sentence going to Which is good, but again, by this point, we know that the, the mission is just to stop Enchantress, which is not interesting. There's never that moment where they really feel like they're going to do something genuinely detrimental to the world, ostensibly be villains. They're just cleaning up another villain's mess. There was an animated movie that came out before this called Assault on Arkham. Which mm-hmm. was a great for what yeah, it was yeah. Suicide Squad movie, where it's mostly the same lineup. They have to break into Arkham Asylum, and I think they have to assassinate the Riddler. Something like that, yeah. Because he's got dirt on Waller or something. Yeah, 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 yep. But that's the kind of stuff I love, where it's like Waller 
sends them to do dirty shit that she can't be caught doing, and because she's got so much leverage, she can manipulate these people. She's got leverage on Deadshot because of the daughter, but that's really the only one she takes advantage of throughout this movie. And, and Rick Flagg being a poonhound for Sandelavine. But everyone else like, okay, what is Boomerang doing this for? They never say, Harley, we need you because of X. Task Force X, if you will. And I'm glad David Harbour's in this movie because these are some of the stranger things that I've ever seen in mainstream movies. <laughs> I was screaming Hellboy throughout this movie at all the terrible decisions that were made. <laughs> but then she shows up and we realize that this movie's about to become Escape from New York when it's, hey, high-value target one, go get it. No, it's more like Escape from L.A. So you want to make me score points against your movie? Continue the terrible trait of saying the title of your movie in the movie. Oh, my God. Oh, the, the uh... The, the clear and present danger syndrome. What are we, the Suicide Squad? Oh, God. So lazily delivered, too. If Will Smith, like, really, I have to say this shit. When Will Smith can't deliver a line, you know it's bad. Will Smith isn't one of our best thespians, but no, he, we, we discussed he, The Oscar would tell you otherwise. Because remember, if you win an Oscar, you're immediately a great actor. Okay. Could you imagine if this movie came out now? It would be Academy Award winner Will Smith, Academy Award winner Jared Leto, Academy Award winner Viola Davis. That would be the entire marketing campaign. We are also just to Scott Eastwood's character in this sequence of GQ Dipshit, I think is his character's name, <laughs> who, for a guy who is the spawn of one of the most charismatic actors of all time, comes off as the wimpiest bitch I have ever seen. This guy is Has so he bad. ever been good? No, this guy is so bad he made me miss Paul Walker. Oh, my God. We then meet Katana. I'm shocked that we get her here. Why Why do we have Katana here? Because there was a scene missing. Because this is a character that Adam really likes, but we're not going to do jack with it. Nope, and there's a real faux pas they do with her later that we'll get to, but my God, did I get pissed. Speaking of the, you know, as Matt brought up the boys, you want to see Karen Fukujo do something great? Go watch that. It's so poorly written that Flag has to explain what she is because the movie didn't bother to give yes. the introduction. Yep. I know. That's like, oh yeah, she does this. Her sword cuts people in half. Fuck it, I don't know. Lay in the helicopter. We got a 60 minutes of movie left we got to take advantage of because we, we wasted too much time setting all this shit up. David Ayer's got to crash four helicopters at that time. Time to get going. Croc commits a quote-unquote party foul. This is the writing, folks. You know that South Park episode where... Commits <laughs> shit? Where, where, yeah, where it says Emmy Award-winning episode at the bottom. Yes. They're putting Academy Award-winning movies. <laughs> uh, outside of Killer Croc, what great makeup is there in this? Their helicopter is shot down, and they're forced to move on foot... Rick tells Deadshot that when the time is right, that Deadshot will cut and run. And, Matt, this goes right to your point of every single time these two are on screen together, Will Smith just makes them look like an idiot. Yep. You cannot be more important than me. But but I, I do like that the movie actually gives Flag and Deadshot a couple of scenes, but most of them are in the extended cut. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that's actually fleshed out is that he confides in him to a point, but it's clear that Kinnaman is not on the same writing playing field mm-hmm. or the same billing scale if you look at the cat because <laughs> flag is like fifth and i guarantee you tom hardy would not have let that shit fly and i think that's honestly why he dropped out i don't think it's the revenue i think, I think so too i think, I think it was creative differences he, he realized honestly. that he was going to have nothing to do mm-hmm. and he just said no i'm done and that's probably jake gyllenhaal's logic because let's see will smith jake gyllenhaal who would i rather watch it's, it's no contest 
Fuck, Joel Edgerton was considered, and he would have he would have put he would have killed it. Shame. And again, that's not a knock against Joel Kinnaman. I just think it's a bad case of miscasting. I don't think it's miscasting. But they had no choice because everybody turned the fucker down. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think it's miscasting because we'll we'll save it for next time. All yep. right, they are in pursuit. And there's a bit of suspense as these rogue characters are trying to run down Enchantress. And we also get a bit of slow-mo action as Harley Quinn dodges a sword, which kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We've knocked a lot of dialogue here, but Quinn did have a pretty funny moment where she sees Flag getting taken away and Deadshot says, if he dies, we die. And she's like, oh, <laughs> after she says that we're just going to let him die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. Because they're all willing to let Flag die. And exactly. Until she's yeah. like, oh, by the way, we should probably do that. Because oh, the, movie, the movie also forgets Harley Quinn used to be a psychiatrist, so she is genuinely yeah. a very smart individual. And that's something this movie forgets. Even when she's with the Joker in a lot of interpretations, she is genuinely the voice of reason. Like, she's not an idiot. No, she's a psychopath, but when she wants to manipulate and turn it on, it's there. What she is has not taken any of that away. And she's when she, yeah. But these little bubbleheads, what the fuck? Oh, what the, the fuck? The, the putty patrol from Power Rangers? Jesus Christ. What a just watered-down, shitty version of nothing that doesn't matter when they can slaughter them in, in droves. They might as well be fucking battle droids from Phantom Menace. Yep. Roger, roger. Or the Chitari from the Avengers, where they're just, they're an obstacle for the characters to overcome that don't pose any kind of a, of a menace. Rick tells Deadshot if he helps keep the mission in line, he will hook him up with a fresh start. And then we, for some reason, get a flashback, because this is the perfect time for one, between <laughs> Quinn and the Joker. It doesn't belong here, but it doesn't belong anyplace else, either. Like, this is yeah. just no place to fit it, but, mm-hmm. hey, people want to see this. This is the only mm-hmm. scene I like Jared Leto in, when he slaps her. I like it, too. He says, like, look, because he looks gen- like when she's driving up beside him, he looks at her like, oh, my God, she just won't leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this bitch. Yep. Yeah, which which is a lot of the some later incarnations of Joker. Speaking of Brian Azzarello, he did a, a standalone graphic novel just called Joker. Joker. Mm-hmm. The main character is in this movie. He's the henchman that he talks to in the room with all the guns that are perfectly symmetrically set up. And in that book, and I think this is actually a brilliant interpretation, because the Joker has the the biggest highs on the planet, he also has the lowest lows. There's shots of him just, like, uncontrollably sobbing, and Harley is holding him. I think that's an interesting mental depiction of what the Joker yeah. mania would look like, and something that I think was kind of revolutionary when they did it. But this scene actually also steals from Dark Knight Returns, because he's wearing the silver jacket. Yep. I mean, that was, like, the first set photos we saw. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, the tattoos are all covered up for the most part. I say that fucking, like Harry Potter would look at that and go, dude, you need to change your forehead. <laughs> Outside of that, this Joker design I'm fine with. Like, if they had just done the Dark Knight Returns outfit and jettisoned the tattoos, I would have been okay with it. We're never going to see that because you're also never going to cast a guy who's built like Frank Miller's Joker because he's built like a fucking pro wrestler. Who is this Harley is fighting in this elevator? This is putty number 872. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it seemed like she was having a hard time with it, and I'm thinking, okay, this isn't one of those other bad guys. Oh, yeah, it kind of nope. is. This is random reshoot to give Harley 30 more seconds. There you oh, go. But also remember, Harley doesn't have superpowers. She's just a very talented gymnast, and I guess a bat is the ultimate weapon. In uh, And this is also like Central City, right? Like, this is the Flash's territory. Midway City. Midway City, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, well, where uh, Hawkman and Hawkwoman are from. Uh, they didn't have the money to bring them in. So. <laughs> All right, we've talked a lot about his writing. Let's talk about his directing here. We get another gunfight, and I have to say, Iyer has taken a very conventional approach to filming these scenes. Nothing seems kinetic about them, and in a crazy movie like this, I think we could have used it. What are you guys feeling about the direction at this point? I think this is a movie that was heavily neutered, because I'm pretty sure David Ayer always intended this to be R. And, and I do think that making them these mindless drones eliminates the need to have so much blood in this one. As far as how he shoots the action, it's fine. But I've seen superheroes, or in this case, metahumans, which only a couple of them are metahumans, by the way, which I find hysterical. I've seen this numerous times to count, and it's just white noise for me. Going off of what you just said about him wanting it to be R, here's my feeling on that. I think they were all for that until Batman v Superman did not make all its money back. I think at that point, the studio was like, look, we need this movie to make $800 million. We're not going to do it with an R-rated rogue picture, so we're going to cut it to PG-13. And that is not Ayer's style. That is not how Iyer works. You know, he does down and gritty movies, as we mentioned before. He works off of his experiences on the L.A. streets. That is not what this movie is. And I think a lot of that neuteredness is due to the fact that Batman vs. Superman, Zack Snyder's film, did not make what they were expecting. When you get in something like this, the director knows what the rating is going to be before they start filming the movie. I mean, Nine times out of ten, they do. Nine times out of ten. But sometimes in the middle, we've seen it happen before. The studio will step in and say, look, we got to cut this down. Yeah, they do. they do, but if it's contracted that, that you're allowed to do an R, they're not doing that unless he's taking a fucking paycheck to change his contract mm-hmm. as well. Which, if he does, then that's also an integrity thing. I don't know that this movie being R would save it. Because no, so, I agree with you. There's so many bad decisions being made from everything he wrote to the people he cast. So the rating, I, I think, is the least of the problems going on. To your question about directing, I like some of the cinematography. I like some of the, the way the camera shots are, are set up. So I'll give that some credit. They can film some falling brass pretty, but it does not sustain momentum enough to have a good time. I think an R rating would not save this movie at all, but at the same time, with that, you do have more liberty to kill off your characters. Yes, um, absolutely. And certainly in a more extravagant way, which I think... It's part of the fun of the Suicide Squad. It operates sort of like a slasher movie where you're just waiting for people to do that wrong thing that gets them killed. So while I don't think it would have saved it, Warner Brothers also does not have the Disney thing where, no, it has to be PG-13 because right. Mickey Mouse will whip your ass. And we've seen DC, in this continuity, do R-rated movies. So I don't think it was a, a restriction for the studio, but the hypocrisy is that BBS, when they did the extended cut, it got an R rating. Right. But that was after it had already been released. Yeah. But still, Warner Brothers, to me, are the biggest villains of this movie. Smith unleashes his inner Phil Jackson and gets Diablo to blow a little fire. We get another flashback as Quinn agrees to live for Joker. And uh, what is this that they jump into? Axis Chemicals. This scene that made me say, fuck this movie. By having her jump into this chemical bath, sort of forcefully, it's not like he pushes her in, but it does eliminate some of the agency in her character. I've never liked the New 52 Harley Quinn, and this is something that's directly lifted, because again, Joker is doing all this with minimal effort, and it, it eliminates the tragedy. This works if you're building up to Harley Quinn saying, no, I don't need the Joker at the end of this movie. And she learns that she can be her own person, but that, that's not what they do here, and it's not what they do for several movies. Well, the next movie they do, but that's for reasons with the initials JL. 
Flagg is getting interrogated by Waller about what Enchantress can do as Deadshot just calls Waller a mean lady. <laughs> I cannot believe that these guys are forced to see, say this dialogue. Big reveal. This is our target. This, mm-hmm. this, is, the, this is it. This is the president yeah. that down on the island of Manhattan that we've got to rescue. After Waller tells him to not get high-spirited, Croc just utters, I like her. <laughs> I'll say I like this spot of her turning and deciding she's going to freaking slaughter everybody in that room. I still remember in the theater going, oh, shit. It shows what she's capable of and no remorse and no caring about it whatsoever. Because the movie remembers she is really the biggest psychopath of all of them outside of the Joker. And the scary thing is that she holds all the power. Joker then attacks and is able to get Harley to jump on a helicopter with him. And Waller tells Deadshot to kill Quinn for his freedom and his kid, but he misses, guaranteed on purpose, right? This, again, this is the Will Smith softening. Deadshot, if he loved his daughter that much, he would have shot her, no questions asked. Absolutely. But because she's fucking Quinn, she gets to live. Because she's too Mm -hmm. popular to kill off in the first movie. Their helicopter is shot down. Another shot down helicopter. Another one. Two of four. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But Quinn escapes. Waller's helicopter also goes down. There you go. <laughs> and then Quinn reunites with everybody as Enchantress and Incubus prepare for Armageddon. Deadshot tells Rick to tell everyone everything, and he does, revealing that she bolted and Incubus helped her escape. This is so fucking sloppy. I've seen this movie a good number of times, but when they reveal at the beginning or much earlier that when he's like, oh, she bolted, she bolted. And then here, I've watched it. This is such a weird, sloppy piece of storytelling that makes no sense. If she had the power to leave, why would she wait till that sec- It I don't know. This doesn't jive whatsoever, makes no sense to add this back in for no reason that, I guess, just to have Chekhov's bomb that's sitting underneath this platform in about 20 minutes, because what the fuck? I just felt like I wasted 40 minutes because I knew who the target was. And this is not a surprise to the audience that Waller was manipulating all of them. It also shouldn't be a surprise for the characters, especially someone like Deadshot, who is clinically sane, all things considered. And he just realized that he was using, she was using his daughter as leverage to get him to assassinate somebody. She put a bomb in the, each of their necks. Yeah, and of course, Joker, his whole subplot is figuring out how to disarm the bomb, which is where the moment he should have taken the squad under his control. Meanwhile, everyone has a drink, because of course they do. Deadshot reminds everyone that they're the bad guys. The extended version of this, I think, is quite nice. It goes on a lot longer. It gives a little bit of a break before the ending. But this bar scene, kind of like a party scene, we get a little bit of them fleshing out a little bit. We get more of Diablo than we get in the normal. The extended version's only, I want to say, 15 minutes longer. But it seems like this, where I actually feel like they're all together, not just being shot separately. And this bar scene with them all was one of the ones that everything that was cut from the trailer, which showed a lot of lines from this, get put back in. And it's it's kind of nice. This bar scene, to me, the only part I liked is when Captain Boomerang just gets up and leaves. Yeah, that was cool. (laughs) We're then getting Diablo's backstory as he lost his wife as well at his hand. And then Harley tells Diablo to own it and that people like them don't get normal. Oh, my God. How did I give this such a positive review in 2016? I was so fucking high. She literally says the line we get later. Normal is a setting on a dryer. Rick says if he can't stop Enchantress, nobody can. And then Deadshot... Go ahead. No, I'm just laughing at that. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Deadshot discovers Rick had letters from his daughter the entire time. 
and then we learn that the husband of Katana is in the sword that she uses, and she talks to him all the time. Is this in the comics? Oh, yeah. It is, okay. Yeah, the Soul Taker sword is, a, is quite a big deal, yeah. Okay. Fantastic series recently, Batman and the Outlaws, and she's one of the main stars of it, along with Cassandra Kane and a lot of the other Bat family. Batman's not a big part of it, which is great, and yeah, I mean, the Soul Taker is, at one point, they go into it, into the spirit realm of it, and have an entire issue, so you mm. could do something really special with it. They don't but you could. They arrive, and there's a force field around Enchantress who says that she has been waiting for them all night. We see an image from Deadshot's head of Batman being shot and killed, as well as a non-makeup-wearing Robbie and Leto having a family, and Diablo's family being intact. (laughs) (laughs) Crickets. I'll move on. (laughs) Visions of... Okay. All right. Yep. Somebody wrote this. <laughs> and they shot it, and they edited it, and it passed through customs. Incubus comes down, and the fight is on. They cut off his hand. Lots of fire ensues, and Diablo keeps him occupied as the team blows him to smithereens. He's a god. How the fuck uh, does yeah. this dude oh, that was my next question. become a yeah. fucking, like, Voltron-sized flame <laughs> god to fight this idiotic brother who is his own... Fire God. Holy shit. This. It turns into fucking Power Rangers where it's two Megazords fighting each other. I have never seen in a very long time a climax this half-assed in a superhero movie. Mm Mm-mm. While Cara Delevingne is sitting there trying to do her best... um, Unlocking? Frickin'... Now, Queen of the Damned impression of just, like, swinging her hips to and fro. It doesn't move. Enchant- I don't know who you're trying to impress. No. Enchantress gets pissed and just unleashes havoc on Earth and the team. Team looks out, witched, and she's getting the upper hand. And Harley questions why they are even bothering to save the world when the world never gave them anything anyway. Which I thought was actually a pretty poignant line. Yeah. You've got to believe Harley. that one of them might actually turn, though. Exactly. Don't believe yeah. it, and that's the bad part. Uh-huh. To Matt's point earlier, they're bad guys. If you play them all as bad guys instead of treating them like anti-heroes, you might believe mm-hmm. somebody was willing to fuck over the team to go with her to save their own ass. Harley bows at the feet of Enchantress and then tears her heart out because she's the star. Why wasn't this Katana? This is the scene I was talking about earlier. This should have been Katana who did this. Why are you going to show a sword two seconds before you have this fucking yes. thing happen? Why don't mm-hmm. don't tell us what you're going to do right before you do it? Oh my God! Everyone else gets their shots in until Deadshot deals the final blow. June Moon emerges as Deadshot says that he has some business to attend to in Gotham. <laughs> right. Well, okay. <laughs> that he wants to see his daughter, and Quinn says that she wants an espresso machine, which I thought was which she you know the only lines that actually get a chuckle out of me are from Quinn. So for a character I don't like, she's the most entertaining in this. I'll give it that. She gets the espresso machine too, which is funny. Boomerang gets detained while everyone else gets ten years taken off their sentences, and then we get this tacked-on scene of Joker rescuing Quinn as credits roll on Suicide Squad. Cool credits. Meanwhile, mid credits. <laughs> Yes, I did stay for this, guys. You'd be proud of me. About time. <laughs> Bruce Wayne does his best Nick Fury impression as he pledges his support for Waller in order to get leverage. And that's it. We are done with Suicide Squad. What did you guys think about the final leg of this, boys? So she had files for the Justice League, but still chose to form the Suicide Squad. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. I do like that she says you should stop working nights. I think that was funny. 
I do, too. That acknowledgement that she realizes who he is, yeah. But Ben Affleck, he looks like he does not care. I guess he didn't have his Dunkin' Donuts before they they shot that day, (laughs) but he looks like he was roped in at the very last minute, which is surprising because in the couple scenes he's in, in the costume, he's good. The only reason he's not Nick Fury is because he doesn't call her a motherfucker. Um, (laughs) If Nick Fury ever does, I'm still waiting for it. All right, boys. Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Suicide Squad? Oh, boy. Who do I go first on this? I'm feeling a lot of hate here. I, I feel like if anyone doesn't have as much hate, it'd be Adam. So, Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. Yeah. So, this movie was one. When it came out, I remember seeing it going, huh, interesting. I didn't hate it. Saw it again in movie theaters. Same result. Saw it a third time in movie theaters. I had some fun with it. I think I saw it a fourth time in movie theaters as well. It played for a long time. I mean, there wasn't shit that was out that August, September. This is a colorful, poppy something to throw up on the screen. I like the musical drops. The characters that are in it are characters that I like seeing on screen. Some of the choices for the casting, I like. Margot Robbie being one of them. Jai Courtney, he does kind of steal the show when he's on. Amazing to say, because it's Jai Courtney, but <laughs> Captain Boomerang might be one of the best things about it. Stay tuned for The Suicide Squad later on. Spoiler for those. He does show up in that. This movie, though, is written poorly. It's not just edited. You can't excuse editing away from this movie, because what is there is still written pretty damn poorly. The effects work around Enchantress look abysmal. They really, really do. Uh, same thing with her brother and Pyro at the very end. I mean, it's just, it's laughable. However, things like Killer Croc looks badass. That Oscar, I, hanging on his scaly skin because he looks phenomenal. This movie, I can't say it works in spite of itself because it doesn't work. I don't hate it, though, because when it's on, I find myself enjoying bits of it here and there and i think that it has to do with just hey cool little song cool little one-liner up now we're turned back to shit it is a road full of potholes the entire way down main street so you just can't get momentum you can't enjoy yourself from beginning to end i like the way it starts but then it starts over and over and over again and that is just frustrating as all hell this is the very definition of studio interference ruining a film I mean, without a doubt. David Ayer sure as hell didn't do himself any favors with casting and writing, but Warner Brothers, there's no doubt they have lost directors because of this type of behavior, and, I mean, shit, they lost Nolan. I mean, that's just as fucking short-sighted as you get. And I don't know what they'll do to bring it back, but hopefully they can get some quality directors with some of the quality IPs and let them make their own fucking movie. When Suicide Squad is on, I don't rush to turn it off, but I don't put it on voluntarily. I had a search for my copy of this movie because I wanted to watch the extended edition, and it's going right back in a box not to see the light of day anytime soon. There's some enjoyment to be had, though, so I'm not going to completely shit on it, but I'm not going to praise it above the little bit that I've had. Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney, and Viola Davis. I mean, they make the movie enjoyable in their parts for me. So I'm going to lay this right down the middle of the line, and I'm still going to be generous and give this movie a 5. 5 out of 10 from Bunch. Goudreau, Grumpy Goudreau. What uh, what do you have to say about this one, sir? Oh, boy. Look, I wanted to give this movie every benefit of the doubt, but when I walked out of that theater, the first words out of my mouth were three strikes in route DC, WB. Man of Steel, BVS, and this. I said to myself, I don't trust anything that this studio is going to put out because clearly they don't have the confidence in their IPs and their directors to let them fully take the reins. 
I think this is why Chris Nolan had the foresight to only do three Batman movies. I'm pretty sure he knew if he stuck around with how much money those movies made, he probably would have just kept turning them out because the studio told him to. Got him one of the guys if you can make your personal interstellars and your tenants and all that stuff. As an end result, this movie is dull. It's standardized to a fault for something that has a great premise and really could have been counterculture for comic book movies in the same way that something like Deadpool or Logan was doing something different from what you come to expect. The pieces are there, but Ayer and the studio didn't see eye to eye. And as a result, you have a movie where a 6,000-year-old witch says you don't have the balls, which evokes laughter of the unintentional kind. There's only so many times you can tell me these people are bad guys. Show me. Don't tell me. Especially given how I know these characters to be in their original imprints. If there was someone I had to place the blame of the most, at the feet of the most, it's whoever the head of WBDCEU clusterfuck was at the time. To quote Joker, which we'll talk about years later, you get what you deserve. When you hire somebody, keep meddling with them. You, Like I said, you don't give them the endorsement. This reeks of desperation. This reeks of uncertainty. It smells of just an absence of logical thinking. For all the knocks I have on David Ayer, with most of his movies, I do think they become increasingly chauvinistic as they go on. All the roid testosterone went to his brain because it fizzed out on this production. I'm all for giving him another shot, but we shall see if that indeed ever comes to light. There's a couple of good performances. Soundtrack makes for a good thing to download, but the licensing costs would probably drive you into bankruptcy. If you were going to ask me would I watch this movie again, I would tell you no. I did not really enjoy myself at all, and I did not give this a positive review when it first came out. I'm going to be slightly lower on this score than I was when I first published it. Much like The Killing Joke, I'm going the same score. I think this is a 3 on 10. I just think this is such a mess and such a... This, to me, is the most disappointing comic book movie of the last 10 years, in my humble estimation. Wow. 3 on 10, and Adam, what did you score it? 5? I was at a 5. Five from Adam. I'll go right between you guys. I'll give this a four. You know, I'm looking at this movie, and for those who don't know, and guys in this podcast know this, but when I mentioned I was high in 2016, that is not an untrue statement. Most of 2016 until September, I was pretty fucking high most of the time on a variety of things. And I would be lying if I said I was not high when I saw this movie initially, and I gave it a pretty high score. That is not an excuse. That is just the way I was feeling. In rewatching it, I am looking at these mistakes just hit me right in the face, not even subtly. There are so many just poor mistakes here. And Iyer and his cast can point the fingers all they want. Truth of the matter is, there is a way to do this, and it doesn't involve what he does here. And his down and grittiness could have worked. I mean, look at Nolan's style. You know, Nolan came in after doing insomnia of all fucking things. And he took that first Batman movie and he did pretty good things with it. There is a way to do this without making something that comes off as a knockoff. And if I didn't like the original Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm not going to like its knockoff. There is 
poor writing. There is poor directing done here. There is a lot of really, really just poorly staged action. And the special effects here, with the exception of Croc, which I think is outstanding to look at, are not good. This is one of the worst superhero movies we have ever reviewed. I'm not going to go a zero like I did New Mutants. It is a four. There is enough to like here. There are moments that I do kind of enjoy. There's just no flow here. It goes from montage to slowness to montage to action. And then here we have another helicopter crash. I swear to God, if you take shots every time a helicopter goes down in this movie, you will be (laughs) on the fucking floor. It's just not good, people. I don't know if James Gunn's version can get any better, honestly. I, I haven't watched it yet. I know the guys on this podcast are high on it. I, myself, am saving that first watching for that review. And I'm going to say, I don't think it can. I just don't think there's anything these characters can do that I would actually like. But we'll see. I mean, we're also going to see Margot Robbie and Birds of Prey here pretty soon. We're going to see these characters again. And I, I hope I like it better than I did this time. Although, who knows? Maybe I'll give that a good review. And then five years down the line, I'll review that again and say, man, that really sucked, didn't it? Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> Four out of ten for Suicide Squad. And, boys, if I was on your guys' case last week when we did the killing joke, and I asked Adam flat out, why are we doing The Killing Joke? Next week's podcast is going to begin the exact same way because we are reviewing, of all fucking things, the goddamn Lego Batman movie. Oh, God damn it! <sighs> the Lego Batman movie. Matthew? I haven't. Another one I haven't seen yet. This must be a mad injection. <laughs> Matt. This shit on me, Mr. Completionist. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie yet. I oh, well. don't know what exactly to expect except bad jokes and everything will not be awesome next week will be my prediction. What do you guys think we're going to expect next week when we review the Lego Batman movie? Um, I'm getting my lobster thermidor ready. I think it's going to be an animated discussion and we can build some bricks upon what has come before. And yeah. I remember being an outlier and not being a giant fan of Lego Batman, but it's been a while. I have not seen it since I took the kids to see it in theaters, so I'm interested to see it again because it's been a while. What about you, Goudreau? What are we assuming next week? Can't get much worse than the, the last couple movies. <laughs> I tell you, it's yeah, been a pretty point. rough rough set of weeks here, the exception of Prey, yeah, <laughs> considering it's, it's, shutting this thing down. <laughs> and I think... Of the three of us, I'm probably the biggest fan of the Lego movie, so this was I something. I love the Lego movie. So so this, okay, good. So yeah. we can fight that fight. But th- this was something I was excited to see. I think Batman had gotten so, between Nolan and Snyder, we needed some brightness back under the cowl. And I was happy to see it. I thought the voice cast they got was pretty inspired. Hell, some of these people could play them in live action, in my humble estimation. But I remember going to see that in a theater, and I enjoyed myself a lot. I didn't think it was the greatest thing since Lego bricks were invented, but I laughed a lot. And what more can I ask for in a Batman tribute slash send-up? So I'm excited to go back and watch it, because I've only seen it that one time. And I have it on when Riker's in the room, just so I feel like... Maybe operates on his level. We shall see. All right. So that does it for Suicide Squad 2016. We are going to revisit this franchise a few weeks down the line. Until next week when we do the Lego Batman movie. Desire becomes podcast. Podcast becomes power. Thank you, gentlemen. All my friends are eating, taking slow. Wait for them to ask you who you know. 
Separating the boxes is still going to cause a massive surge. I'll have to be there, but you guys should think about getting clear. We're with you till it's done. Honestly, I think we're all going to be dead waiting for that. And you know what? I don't mind. It's an honorable end, but we got to shut Steppenwolf down. Superman's a no-show. You got no powers. No offense. This guy might be working for the enemy. We don't know. You're tripping over your feet and mine. Oof. You're gorgeous. Fierce and strong. And, mm. I know we went to war with Amazons, but that was before my time. And you know what? I don't want to die. I'm young. There's shit that I want to do. I just feel like I never really embraced the sea or the land. I've been alone my whole life. Being part of something bigger like this. Maybe I'm scared because I'm meant to. I think that was beautiful. You say a word about this. You'll need every prana I know. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. This place is amazing, y'all. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Hollywood, here we come! <laughs> the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. I hate everything you just said. Edited by Garrett. What is it with you? What made you what you are? Voiceovers by Adam. That's what a dose of reality will do to you. It's why I never touch the stuff. I find it waters down the hallucinations. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. I was trying to get you there. I just took a shot, and I'm all set to go, guys. I got my third white claw because you called me a bitch, son. <laughs> <laughs> he got his third white claw because we called him a bitch. Not we. Not we. Oh, now he's going to have a 0. 0.0001 alcohol level. <laughs> now you're going to have a 0. 0.001 alcohol level, she said. Well, good. Okay. Because I, I barely drink as it is. She's 4'11". That would get her drunk. That's fine. She's 5 foot. She's not 4'11". She's 5 foot. She's 5 foot with heels on.
And I'm on the, <laughs> on the tall side. I'm not Garrett's size, but... He is, actually. He's taller than I was expecting when I met him. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Everyone, like, at Lollapalooza, they're like, wow, you're you're taller than I thought you would be. <laughs> the other, the other, the funny one was, you're a lot thinner than I thought you'd be. I'm like, wow, go fuck. <laughs> the radio adds pounds. <laughs> you know, that's like when I meet people and they're like, wow, you don't look like you sound at all. There's nothing good that comes out of that statement. What the fuck is that? Nothing good will come from that conversation. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's almost like saying you look pregnant to a woman. <laughs> yeah, never, I don't have ever, 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 ever. I did it one time when oh. I was working at Hollywood Video. <laughs> a gal came in. She's she was a common get customer. Like she was so nice. I said I didn't know you guys were pregnant. She's like we're not. And I'm like, mm. oh, <laughs> it's the worst feeling ever. <laughs> All right. Speaking of worst feeling ever, let's watch. Let's talk about this movie. Let's <laughs> talk about Suicide Squad. Let me open my beer first. All right. Oh, wow. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to talk about Croc that much because I'm not going to say that name. Um, well, it's okay. No, I tried to, and I'm like, I don't want to insult, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Just call him Mr. Echo. It's okay. But, of course, the traders didn't give any of that away. They gave away the fun about it. And I agree with you, Matt. You know, and that was my one trepidation was this felt like a Guardians ripoff. Anyone who knows my thoughts about Guardians, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Uh, let's you talk about David Ayer. No, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Adam. No, I'm sorry. No, no, there's nothing for it. Go ahead. Speaking of okay. bitch, he just turns. Nope. Nope. <laughs> More than David Ayer, there was one name that sold this for me as much as it did anybody else, and that was the name. Jay Courtney. Oh. You know what I gotta say? He's fantastic in the Terminal List. I didn't even recognize him for two fucking episodes. I thought you were gonna say he was fantastic in Terminator Genesis. <laughs> Take off my glove one finger at a time and bitch slap me with it. I'd have to finish that movie to know. <laughs> yeah, the only other name I saw when it came to Harley was um, Alexandra Daddario, which I would oh, love for I can, a lot I can, of things. Yeah, I can hear Gareth Boner from here. But oh she gosh. she is not Harley Quinn. She's a Tana. She's a lot of things. She is not Harley, though. Uh, when we get to Wonder Woman, I have so many things to say about that woman. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go clean off his... Clean up on my yeah. <laughs> i got to take another break. I didn't have anything. The only thing that also made me wince was seeing Scott Eastwood's name. <laughs> I think that happens every time. And people were saying he was playing Dick Grayson. Go fuck yeah. people. Yep, that's what everybody thought. And that All was right, that was supposed to be Shiloh. Adam, Oof. start that again because I, I start that again because I, I stepped on it. Go ahead. And that character. Now this was looked at as a real opportunity because Matt and I we're going to get to Wolf of Wall Street. We've recorded the majority of the Martin Scorsese retrospective with Ganeri, and that's going to be coming out here real, real shortly, actually. So keep your eyes out for that. But I want to mention it too. I want to go ahead and say that I was excited about this performance because of that movie. I love her in that movie. Am I the I only go person who's say, never? Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Am I the only person who's never seen that movie? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jen had never seen it either. She got about an hour in, and she's like, yeah, I'm done. She walked out. <laughs> so, well, there we go. I'm, that, that, that I'm taking your girlfriend's day. I'm going to say something. But Harley Quinn 
joining the Suicide Squad has only been within the last, what, 10, 12 years? If that, yeah, I think it was a new 52 and on, yeah. All right, Garrett, we're out of we're out of geekdom, so you can retake the show. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I thought I thought you guys cut out there for a second. You guys were just no, waiting for me. He, he was just sitting there going, "Oh, you fucking nerds!" <laughs> I was just waiting for you guys to no. You guys have a lot of interesting things to say. I was just trying to make sure you guys had it all processed before. But then she shows up, and we realize that this movie's about to become Escape from New York. When it's hey, high value target one, go get it. No, it's more like Escape from L.A. Yeah. Yes, yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right. It's the shitty one. Let's not besmirch Escape from New York, which if we ever do a John Carpenter retrospective, we will. Uh, you know, when you mentioned get two movies to put in that slot, that was two I actually thought of were those two. We, we shall we, see, everyone, because in case you're listening, we have pretty much all the way through 2025 slated. <laughs> Almost. We need to talk about that, but we'll get to it. So... You know that South Park episode where some the shit, where, where, yeah, where it says Emmy award-winning episode at the bottom, yes. putting Academy award-winning movies. <laughs> uh, outside of Killer Croc, what great makeup is there in this? You know, if you were to play the home three-minute retrospective podcast drinking game, and your choice was to finish it off every time Matt mentions South Park, you'd be dead. Well, I drink about as much as Randy Marsh does, so <laughs> all in all, it doesn't make all that sense. And someone did message me this, not to go on a tangent. If we can ever find a way to do the South Park movie, we will gladly discuss it. Damn right. When the show inevitably ends, that'll be our tribute. The Joker then attacks and is able to get Harley to jump on a helicopter with her. I'm sorry. Joker then attacks and is able to get Harley to jump on a helicopter with him. Deadshot reminds everyone that they're the bad guys. The extended because version. We need to remind this. the audience. Fuck. Sorry. You're okay. Go ahead. Keep in mind, coming up with D23, some of the dates for probably 2024 and 25 are going to get released for some of those other Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, oh, well, I guess new ones don't matter. Never mind. No, no, new ones aren't going to matter for a number of years. The only thing so. that would, would matter is if Indiana Jones gets moved again. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That would piss me yeah. off. Yeah. I think well, we're getting that trailer at D23. Is it going to take mm-hmm. place in a nursing home? <laughs> I, I want to fly a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah.